and welcome to the Open Government Podcast. I'm Richard Pietro. And I'm Samir Vasta. Each episode of the Open Government Podcast, we bring you an interview with someone working on open government and citizen engagement in their community. And today we have Michael Lentzner, the CEO of Aja, a Montreal-based software company that builds tools for the Canadian nonprofit sector. But what makes their approach unique is that they combine open and public data in addition to their own research to help funders and nonprofits better understand the patterns and specifically the risks and opportunities in their funding environment. Michael is also uh, has also con- co-founded the Listserv Civic Access and Montréal Ouvert, and he currently serves on the boards of Apathy is Boring, Il Saint-Fil, and several other boards. And my first question to you, Michael, is of all this work and interest in civic engagement, is there one in particular that you're most proud of? Is, is there one that has kind of had the, the kind of impact you didn't think it was going to have? Like you're everywhere. <laughs> um, thanks. <laughs> thanks for that. Um, yeah, I think, I think, you know, this, in this past year, we've, we've had some good success. We've been invited down to the Gates Foundation. Uh, we were listed as one of the top 10 innovations uh, in the world of philanthropy by uh, a UK London based think tank. But I think the thing I'm most proud of was, um, and it was funny listening to you give the introduction, but of, of founding a listserv <laughs> because, um, you know, founding a listserv probably takes all of 10 minutes, right. Um, just to you know, create a mailing list. Um, but that was in 2004 or 2005, I think somewhere in that time. And that was, um, that the idea behind that was that we wanted to promote open data in Canada, and there wasn't a place where people could talk about it. Um, so that was the idea behind Civic Access. We wanted to have a place where people could talk and get excited and share their interest in open data, and um, we wanted it to be Canada-wide and, and open to uh, you know everyone from li- the librarians to you know uh, heavy-duty co- heavy coders. Um, and I founded that with, uh, with a bunch of people, but, you know, including Gabe and um, Gabe Sani and Tracy Lorio and Stéphane Guidoin, um, people that have gone on to become leaders in the open data community in, in, in Canada. Can you give us an example of uh, something that you've seen has come out of the listserv, maybe either a connection or a project or just some kind of excitement that, you, that you're really excited to share with other people? Um, let's see. Uh, you know, I, th- I think that's when we started the idea of having a Canadian community interested in open data. Um, uh, so in some ways, you know, we can indirectly take some credit for uh, things like the upcoming conference being organized by, you know, the Canadian Open Data Summit that's happening in um, in Ottawa in the mm-hmm. spring. But, uh, you know, no, it's it's hard to really to really point to concrete events. I know that you know, that's where we organized the first uh, Sega sets and things in Ottawa and in Montreal for people to locally get together. Um, so that's where we met the people that later became Montréal Ouvert. Um, but, but yeah, I think it's more general than specific, the uh, impact that we had. Well, then speak about some of the work you've done with Aja. I mean, you've been internationally recognized now. Is As your work, like, it's it's almost as though you're taking a seed and, and allowing it to grow into this big giant oak tree. Are you is there any particular projects that you'd like to talk about right now that he says like I wish people knew more about this? Um let's see. 
Uh, there's definitely, I'm, you know, I very much am a geek. So I always feel like there's things that I wish that regular people thought about more, talked about more, um, as, as all other geeks do. Um, I think our project that we just did, uh, the landscape project where we took information, um, like lots of geeks, lots of open data people know that the federal government uh, has a proactive disclosure, um, uh, policy where they list all the contracts they give out above $10,000. Um, this is the buy and sell.ca open contracts, right? That you're referring to? Well, actually, it, it predates that, and it's okay. it's it's um it's proactive disclosure it was put in by the liberals um, back in two thousand and five because they got in trouble right for the sponsorship scandal, mm. and just before they they uh, they got tossed out, um, they said we're you can trust us we're going to put in the proactive disclosure information so all the contracts above ten thousand dollars and all the grants and contributions above twenty five thousand dollars are going to be available online. And so that's been available online on every single federal department's website since that time, and it's published quarterly. So it's this really cool source of data that, that you know, in some ways predates the open data, most of the open data movement, um, and has to do just purely with the transparency and corruption issue. Um, so uh, we took the data for the grants and contributions, and we made a website called landscape.azure.ca, um, where it actually shows you the federal department's who's funding what projects and it gives you an idea of who's doing what projects in your in your city or in your sector of interest if you want to see who's working with girls in toronto you can actually just get you know go there and say type in girls as a keyword and you see all these different organizations that are that are doing different projects with girls and it's all there because of the federal data on what they're funding so you get all the information from environment canada and status of women and public justice and all these things but as a result, you learn about the nonprofit sector and kind of effectively you learn about your compute, your community to see who's out there working with girls or who's out there working in food initiatives or, or um, you know, with immigrants. So I think that's a project I'd like to have people know about because um, it's kind of has a concrete application for, for municipalities and for nonprofits. Um, and it's a very nascent project, but I think there's a lot of potential to getting the, you know, the federal government to release the data it has on the nonprofit sector, because it'll really show you a lot of who's doing what in our communities. So for for those of our listeners that aren't uh, fully aware, the, the government put in this uh, this policy basically saying that we're going to disclose everything unless otherwise notified said that we won't disclose it, right? That's the, the essence of proactive disclosure is that everything is disclosed unless we say we shouldn't disclose it as opposed to what it was before. That said, has it been successful, that policy? Because we haven't really seen where it's gone since then, and it's been talked about recently again. Uh, but has, has the implementation of that been successful? Has it been rolled out effectively? So... Um... You're right that that's what practice disclosure means. This particular policy was not that broad. Uh, when the when the I, I'm not even sure whether it was enacted as uh, whether it was was proposed. I don't think it was proposed as a bill at all. I, I'm not quite sure, or maybe just an internal government policy. Um, so I'm not sure the weight behind it and its its legal status. Um, but they, in that, they said there. If you go, go look at any federal department website, you'll find position reclassifications, um, travel expenses, um, and travel and hospitality expenses, grants and contributions above 25k, and then contracts above 10k. That's all sitting there, and that's those are the data sets they're referring to, or the the activities they're referring to when they were 
doing open proactive disclosure. So I don't think the Liberals had in mind a comprehensive um, proactive disclosure policy. It was specifically related to expenses of government to prevent the kind of things that happened they got in hot water for uh, with the Gomery scandal. Right, right. Which, you know, I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> so, Michael, just to step step back from all of the proactive disclosure stuff. Yeah. I want to I want to talk about uh, your work with the nonprofit sector and how Aja, you know, really helps nonprofits. But I'd love to explore what you think the role of the nonprofit sector is to play in this world of citizen engagement, to play in this world of pushing the idea of open and to start looking at where what government can be and how governance can change in the future. How should the non not for profit sector play? Why should they play and what should they be doing um, and what kinds of tips do you have for people that are interested in that in the sector? Um, great. Um, always happy to talk about the nonprofit sector and, and their role and things. So I think it's a bit too early for um, individual organizations that are not associations or that don't have a role in, in – um, really leading the nonprofit sector. I think it's a bit early for those organizations to get involved. So if you're a local community services organization in downtown Toronto, I don't think you should be spending too much time on this unless there's, you know, there's really specific data sets that you're having problems getting and you could use open data to, to help you with that. Um, uh, where this is at, I think, is the level of sector leaders and capacity building organizations. So things, people that have been leading this, so like the social planning networks, um, and we're working with Ontario Nonprofit Network or, or the community foundations, those types of organizations that do have the ability to do some R&D and kind of explore where, you know, push on where they want things to be in, in, in five years or five, five to 10 years from now. Um, and I think that uh, their role is to make sure that um, open data does have social impact and is not just seen as uh, a way of having, um, you know, preventing government misspending mm -hmm. or of, uh, you know, helping startups, you know, helping the next batch of startups. Um, you know, both those things are great. I have no problem with trying to rein in government mis you know, waste if that's if that's when and when that's a, an issue. Right. And uh, startups are great. We're, you know, we're probably just aged out of being a startup in the last couple of years. Um, but I think looking at situations of, you know, organizations that are working on immigration policy or organizations that are working on poverty reduction, those are the ones that, um, the larger ones that have some staff and have some ability to do research, those are the ones that should be starting to work with open data leaders um, to say, okay, we do have data needs. We have our current mechanisms of getting data. We get some data we want, some data we don't get. Let's start to use some of these you know, new open data policies and this new momentum around open data to uh, to get to where we're going. So well, I think there's an opportunity there to really take advantage of these policies. Um, and the nonprofit sector as a whole hasn't done that. Um, uh, and that's some, that's some work specifically in Ontario that that our company's been doing, as has been doing under our brand powered by powered by data, to really get nonprofit leaders to start to say, you know. Uh, we can help shape this policy. We can use this policy to get to some of our objectives. Uh, once again, <laughs> you're you're just everywhere, mm -hmm. and and one of the things it's funny because this is something I like. I, I try to preach to people who are not engaged is that they think they have to do this big spectacular, whatever to to have impact. And I love how you went back to the intro earlier and talked about how 
you know, the listserv, a 10-minute exercise 10 years ago is probably one of the, you know, most memorable, impactful things that you did. And it was so simple. So I love how you're bring, you, you're able to bring it all down to that as well. So thank you so much, Michael, for, for doing the interview here today. You know, our, my pleasure. And uh, and you guys are both, um, I think, doing exceptional stuff. And this is a great initiative, too, just to connect people and, and uh, animate the space. So So thanks for doing that. Thank you. And that was Michael Lentzner from Montreal, Quebec on the Open Government Podcast. If you have any questions about today's episode, you can reach Michael on Twitter at M-L-E-N-C. That's at M-L-E-N-C or through Azure.ca. And as per usual, you can always send us questions on our hashtag at OGTPod. I'd like to thank Cheryl's Crush for providing the intro and outro music for the podcast. So until next time, I'm Richard Pietro. And I'm Samir Vasta. Thanks again for listening. And we'll be back soon with our next interview with someone in the Open Government community. Thank you.